conversations with God, the first few words come easy. But where do we go from there? What could help prayer feel fresh, authentic, honest, fulfilling? What if the inspiration we need has been here for us all along? Friends, if I haven't met you before, my name is Brian, but uh, before we dive into today's message, I actually wanted to take a minute and have a family moment. I know a lot of you have been asking how we can respond to the tragic fires in Hawaii, and today I want to give you three simple ways that we can help. So the first is through our partnership with Samaritan's Purse. They have teams that are on their way to Maui right now, and you can go to SamaritansPurse.org to help them financially, or you can volunteer on a relief team in Hawaii. The second is to partner with YWAM, who are already on the ground working alongside some of our global partners to provide relief. And if you're interested in partnering, in partnering with them, you can go to their Instagram page. It's at YWAM underscore ships underscore Kona. And they have a link that's in their bio where you can give. And last but not least, we can pray. And we can pray on our own, but right now I actually want to take a moment to pause and pray together as a church. So will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Lord Jesus, your word says to weep with those who weep. So God, instead of sharing any Christian platitudes, we just honestly from our hearts say that this is sad and this is hard and we need your help. Lord Jesus, we need your presence. Lord Jesus, we just pray that you would move in power, God, that you would bring the healing and peace that only you can bring. God, we lift up right now every single family who's been impacted in these fires, Lord Jesus, we pray for those who have lost loved ones, those who have lost houses, those who have lost a semblance of normalcy or safety. Jesus, would you be with them as they grieve? God, would you bring your peace? You are the Prince of Peace. So God, we pray that your peace would just be so evident in every single one of their lives. God, we pray for the rescue workers. We pray that you would make them strong and wise. God, that you would allow them to actually move in ways that, um, that actually reflect you. God, we pray for the whole state of Hawaii, God, as they grieve. We pray that they would have permission to grieve, that they would not feel like they have to have a stoic face and be okay, but God, that it would be okay to just be sad and just be broken and to know that we're with them. And God, finally, I just pray for us. Would you show us what it looks like to find our part and how to help, God? Would we not sit on the sidelines? Would you actually move us in the direction. God, would you show us and teach us how and what it is that you're calling each and every one of us to do, whether that's pray, whether that's partner, or God, whether that's just to continue to do whatever it is that we can to reflect you in this season. Lord, we love you. We lift up these families, these rescue workers, God, in this whole state to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen and amen. So this week, as I was preparing for my message, God put a question on my heart. And the question is this, what is the craziest thing that you have ever asked me for? What's the craziest thing that you've ever asked me for? And it's an interesting question because when we look at what it is that we ask God for, it's actually a really honest reflection of our heart. 
One of the things that we see when we look back on what it is that we've asked God for, it shows us more than what we want. It actually shows us how big we think that God is. How big are the prayer requests that we're putting before our king. So I started thinking about what I'd ask God for. And to be honest, I had to do a lot of thinking because I've done a lot of asking. Suffice it to say, I have not been shy. I am not hard to shop for. I like making my requests known before the Lord. I like putting the ball in his heavenly courts, and I've been doing it ever since I was a kid. I remember one specific moment when I was eight years old, and I was living in this old house in Cordova, Alaska, at the end of Power Creek Road, and I was trying to figure out if God was real. And I just remember so vividly this moment. I just wanted to know what he was and if he was real. And if he was real, then what he could do for me. So as any good eight-year-old would do, what I started to do was throw up prayers to the big man upstairs, asking him to make things appear in my living room. And for those of you who are interested, this was my process. I sat in my bedroom. I don't know why, but here was my logic. I was sitting in my bedroom praying that he would make things appear in my living room. I can't tell you why. That's just the way that I was doing it. So I would sit in my bedroom, and I was praying with my eyes closed as tight as I could close them. And I was praying as hard as I could muster. And I was just visualizing God making these things appear in the other room. And after I prayed as hard as I could pray, I would run into the living room and see if Santa Jesus had hooked me up. First, I asked for a new baseball glove. Went out to the other room. God said no. Next, I asked him for a watch. And much to my dismay, he said no again. But instead of shirking back, I actually pushed in. Instead of quitting, I decided, you know what? I'm going to pray bigger. I'm going to pray bolder. I'm going to be a man of faith, a man of God. I went back into the room, started praying for a car. I said, God, if you're real, give me a car. Put it in the living room. I didn't really think through the logistics of getting it out of the living room, but you know what? That was not what I was super worried about. In that moment, it was the most impossible thing I could think. I said, God, please give me a car. Prayed as hard as I could pray. Closed my eyes as tight as they would close. And then I ran out into the other room. God said, no. But I was a determined eight-year-old kid. So instead of admitting defeat, I decided to try one last thing. I decided to change my posture. I think I learned in church that you're supposed to change your posture. But of course, at the time, I didn't know that I was speaking sometimes of the posture of your heart. So what I did, because I couldn't comprehend really the essence of what it was doing, is I changed the posture of my body. I decided if God wasn't he hearing me standing up, maybe I should just invert the prayer. And so in my boldness, boldest moment, I closed my eyes tight and I tucked my toes into the perfect handstand, which I would display for you today but I'm not going to do that for you and for myself but there I was an eight-year-old kid upside down in a perfect toe-tucked headstand just praying just like you can't believe God would you make a car show up and in hindsight I probably again shouldn't have prayed for that because I was more of a truck person but that's what I was doing I just wanted to know so desperately God are you real and even though he said no I never stopped asking God for stuff over the years, I asked God to move in my life. I asked him to, to heal myself and my family and my friends. I asked him to take away my pain. I've asked him to, to give my life meaning. I've asked him to open up doors, and I asked him to forgive me when I opened doors that I should have kept shut. I asked him to use me. I asked him to strengthen me and give me courage. And I can't tell you the amount of times that I've prayed for wisdom because the Bible says that if you pray for wisdom, that God will give it to you. I'm going to prove it to you right here, James 1, chapter 6. I don't know if you know this exists. Let's see if we can throw this baby up there. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given 
to you. There it is, a biblical guarantee right there. It's a sure thing. If you ask for wisdom, God will give it. That's how it works. So I prayed it, and God gave it, and I prayed it, and God gave it, and I prayed it again. But this week, I was thinking about the trajectory of my prayer life, and I couldn't help notice that some of the initial boldness might have gone missing. Some of, some of the vigor, some of the crazy prayers that I used to pray, I wonder where they went because once upon a time, I was eight years old and I was asking God for the impossible while standing on my head, and now I'm looking for guarantees. And I'm wondering, wondering where has that faith gone? Friends, I wonder, what's the craziest thing you've asked God for lately? You know, right now we're in the middle of a series called Dear God, and what I want you to know this week is that it's not about praying prayers that are more eloquent. It's actually understanding the power of even the simplest prayers that we pray. Max Licato says it like this. This is such a powerful quote. He says, our prayers might be awkward. Our attempts might be feeble. But since the power of prayer is in the one who hears, it's not the one who says it. Our prayers are more powerful than we'll ever know. Amen? And today we're looking at a powerful prayer that Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus. But before we dive in, I want to get you engaged a little bit. Will you look at your neighbor? And here's what I want you to tell him. I want you to tell him the title of my message. Tell him, Dear God, I need to hear some more voices. We're going to say, Dear God, Part 7, Paul's Prayer. It's catchy, I know. I thought of it myself. I was pretty proud of that one when uh, I was just like, when the, when the time came, I was like, here it is. This is, this is my message. It's, it's, it's good. But anyway, we're in Ephesians today, chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. If you've got your Bible or your app, you can pull it out. If not, it's going to be on the screen. And if not, you can just allow it to be read over you. But just to give it a little context, this prayer is actually a part of a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, which is located in what's now modern-day Turkey, which I agree with you is a weird name for a country. But what's helpful to understand isn't just who it was written to, it's actually where it was written from. And Paul was actually in a prison cell in Rome when he wrote it. So Paul is in chains, if you can get this in your mind, this is how it was written, Paul was in chains but instead of praying for his own freedom, he was on his knees praying for the freedom of the people in his church back in Ephesus. So I'm going to read the whole prayer to you, and you can just allow it to, to speak to you. I just love this prayer, starting in verse 14. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you, with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how high and long and wide and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generation, forever and ever. And everyone in the room said, Amen. This is just so powerful. 
Uh, I want to dive into it because it can sound ethereal. It can sound like this big thing, but I actually want to dive in and just kind of walk us through what it is that, 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 that Paul's getting at here. So the first thing I want us to look at is these first words. He says, for this reason, I kneel. For this reason, I kneel. And I, I think it's interesting because before Paul ever tells us what he prays, he tells us the posture that he's in. He said, for this reason, I, I kneel. I go to my knees before the Lord. And I know that you know that you can pray anytime, any place, and God will hear you. That is true. You can pray in a car. You can pray in a bar. You can pray at a workplace. You can pray in a classroom. You can play at the mall or store. You can pray at home. You can pray on the highways and byways. All that is true and powerful and good, but I need you to hear me when I say this. Something shifts when we actually change our posture and go to our knees. Something in here shifts when we actually get low and we remind ourselves, and we start talking to God and saying, God, you are in control, not me. God, I thank you that everything that is outside of my control is well within your purview. God, I thank you that everything that is overwhelming to me is not overwhelming to you. You know every single detail of it. Lord Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. Lord Jesus, less of me and more of you. When we get into a humble posture, it's not that God can hear us better, it's that it actually shifts something in our hearts, amen? He says, for this reason, I kneel. I was thinking, you know, it's just different if somebody says, hey, I'm praying for you, as opposed to somebody saying, hey, I'm on my knees praying for you. I'm on my knees. I am knocking on the door. It communicates a different level of intensity and intent. And this is what Paul's really communicating here. He's saying, I'm on my knees. I'm banging on the doors of heaven for you. And I need you to know that I am serious about this. And you have an advocate and you have somebody who loves you. He says, I'm on my knees. And for this reason, I kneel. And what Paul prays next has changed my life. I'm telling you right now, this is like on the Mount Rushmore of prayers for me. This is totally impacted, not just the way I live, but the way that I pray. And I just want to walk us through it so that we can see the full picture. The first thing that Paul prays for is this in verse 16. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being. So this isn't a prayer about out there. This isn't a prayer about your context. This is a prayer about your heart and your soul. As a pastor, I get to pray for a lot of people. What I love about this prayer is that Paul knows that what we need isn't always what we ask for. What we need isn't always what we ask for. And I would know this because I've prayed with a few people in my day. I have an Evernote tab on my phone where I write down prayer requests so I don't forget. And I was looking through it, and it reminded me that I've been praying for people's stress levels and people's health. And I've prayed for people's finances and businesses and brands. I've prayed for people's marriages and relationships. And back when I was in college ministry, I prayed for a bunch of dudes who didn't have relationships but really wanted them. And friends, I'm telling you, I've gotten all sorts of prayer requests. I have prayed over dogs. I've prayed over cats. I've prayed over cars. I've prayed over houses. I've prayed over sports teams. I have prayed over many things and been asked to pray many different prayers, just to name a few. But not once in my 10 years of ministry has anyone ever sat me down and said, hey, I want you to pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit that my inner being would be strengthened. 
I haven't heard that one. And just to make sure I wasn't alone in this, maybe everyone else is getting that prayer request. I went on chat GPT and asked for a list of the hundred most prayed for things. And it was nowhere to be found on that list. Friends, people are not asking for this, but it's what they desperately need. Lord, would you strengthen the fiber of my inner being? Would you grant me capacity to see what I can't see? Here's what I love about Paul. Paul's not praying for what people want. He's praying for what people need. He says, through the power of your spirit, would you strengthen their inner beings? You know, another way to say it would be like this. Lord, would you, would you strengthen their hearts? Would you strengthen their souls? Would you give them a God-given grit so that even when life gets hard, they still have the capacity to know that you are good? Isn't that beautiful? He says, would you, would you strengthen my inner being? The thing I don't think about that often, but the thing that might just be most important about who I am. He continues in verse 18, and I love this because he says, would you have your inner being strengthened? And it says what it needs to be strengthened for. In verse 18, it says, it needs to be strengthened so that you would have the strength to grasp how high and wide and deep and long God's love is for you and to know, not to know about, but to know, not to memorize, but to experience the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It doesn't say that it surpasses your knowledge. It says that surpasses knowledge, all of it, everything that anyone has ever known or ever will know pales in comparison to the love of Christ. And I'll be honest, I love verses like this because I'm a person who tends to exaggerate. I'm just being honest. I kind of like the Mark Twain quote when he says, I never let the facts get in the way of a good story. I resonate with that. Like, I totally get it. But here's what I love about Jesus, and here's what I love about Christ's love. You cannot exaggerate the love of Jesus. You cannot overstate the vastness of something that has no end. And if you want to know about Jesus, this is what I need you to know. He's more than a good teacher. He's more than a good idea. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all of creation. He is the king over everything. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the creator of all things. He's ruling and reigning over every ruler and every principality. And he is currently and presently sitting on the throne. And here's what you need to know about that Jesus. His love for you is relentless. His love for you is perfect. His love for you has no bounds. In his book, Crazy Love, Francis Chan said it like this. If your brain was the size of a soda can, then God's love is like all the oceans. So what he's really saying is no matter how much of God's love you've experienced, your brain has nowhere near the capacity to hold all of it. There's always more of God's love than you think there is. And, and, and here's why that matters, friends. It matters because some of you are living with a story because of something you did or maybe something that you're doing right now that you are somehow outside of the limits of God's love. But I'm actually here today to say there are no limits to God's love for you. In the words of Katie Heron in Mean Girls, she says, the limit does not exist. I expect three of you to get that, and that's fine with me. The Bible is crystal clear on this. It says there is nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. There is no limit. If you have a box for God's love, it's too small. Whatever picture it is that you have in your mind, it doesn't matter if you've been following him for a decade or your whole life for one minute. Whatever that picture is, it's too small. There's always more when it comes to God's love. 
Paul goes on and he says, Now to him who is able to do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. He's praying that we would, that what we know about God wouldn't lead us to think highly of ourselves, but rather that it would lead us to think highly of God. He says, to him be the glory. There's this incredible quote that I just keep coming back to this last few months by this Welsh minister named Martin Lloyd-Jones. He starts it, he says, I can forgive a man for a bad sermon. To that I say, thank you, Jesus. He says, I forgive a man for a bad sermon. I can forgive a preacher almost anything if he gives me a sense of God. If he gives me something for my soul. If he gives me the sense that although he is inadequate himself, he's handling something that's very great and very glorious. If he gives me some dim glimpse of the majesty and the glory of God, the love of Christ, my Savior, and the magnificence of the gospel, if he does that, I am forever his debtor, and I am profoundly grateful to him. Friends, this is all I could ever hope to do. It's just to just to try and give you some dim glimpse of God's glory. Just to give you some fragmented picture of the scope and magnitude and the height and the width and the depth of God's love for you. This is what I'm shooting for is, man, can I give you a dimly lit picture of this God's love who is so extravagant for you. He says, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Not us, it says to him. Friends, we're so quick to forget that this story it isn't about us. We are not the protagonist. We are not the hero. This story has a hero and his name is Jesus. But if we're not careful, we can make it about us. We can make it about our our journey to become better so that we can get into the good graces of God. But Paul makes it abundantly clear that this is not the case. In Ephesians 2, just a chapter before, he says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you once walked. So he says, you were dead. And for the longest time, I grew up in the church, so like I, I've been kind of steeped in this whole thing. And like for the first few decades of my life, I guess I didn't really recognize the... Uh, the magnitude of the situation that I was in. You know, for the longest time, I, I, I just kind of thought I was bad or I was broken or, or I had something that was just messed up about me, which was bad news in and of itself because I wanted to be good and I wanted to be whole and I wanted to be used by God. I had the WWJD bracelet and everything, man. I was ready to go, like, charge up the hill, like, let's take this mountain. But, but here's the problem. The Bible doesn't say that we're bad at actually says is worse than that it says that we're dead and if you know anything about biology or like anatomy or uh, science in general you know that if you're you, you're dead you got some issues you got some issues to work through because you don't have a voice to cry out for help if you're dead you don't have the power to put up your hand in the air and say Jesus would you choose me and friends, this is the gospel. If you have just heard that word thrown around, don't know what it means. The gospel just means the good news. This is the gospel. That I was dead. And that doesn't sound like good news, but we're going to get to the good news. Here's the gospel. I was dead. I was an object of God's wrath, and there was nothing I could do about it. But scripture says in verse 4, but God, 
being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved, my friends, so that none can boast. And what this means is that all of the choosing and all of the power and all of the glory and all of the credit and all the focus in the story isn't on me, it's on God. Jesus is the hero of my story. My story isn't that I was bad and Jesus made me better. My story isn't that I used to have a foul mouth and I was a fisherman and now I don't cuss as much as I used to. My story is I was dead. I didn't have a place to go or a voice to call out with, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved me made me alive together with Christ. My story, your story, our collective story is that we had nothing to give to God, but God gave everything to us on the cross. And this is why it says, to him be the glory. To him be the glory. I am not the object of anything other than undeserved grace. I had nothing and Jesus gave everything. And so because of that, verse 21, the end of this prayer says, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Friends, this is your story. It's about God. It's not about you. And his love cannot be exaggerated. There's not words that I can put to it if I'm trying to make it bigger that will make it big enough for you to see or for me to understand. And all week I've been excited about this prayer. It's, it's, it's just like fired me up. I was excited to tell you about the power and the love of God that surpasses knowledge, not just your knowledge, but all of knowledge. I was even starting to compile a list of stories and illustrations and ideas and quotes so that I could try my best to show you the gravity and the magnitude of this prayer and of God. And I was going to go all Louis Giglio and do a slideshow of the cosmos and talk about Beetlejuice and the Milky Way and how we all fit in. And it's so big and we're so small. So I was going to do that. And then I was going to be awesome. I was so excited. But before I could finish my slideshow, I felt a pull on my heart to stop preparing and start praying. To, to stop collecting and to, to start kneeling. Because I realized somewhere along the line, I got more focused on what I wanted to say than how Jesus was calling me to pray. I, I, I was getting ready to stand up and, and speak, and God was telling me to get down and, and pray. So this week I decided that instead of coming up with a cute story about my kids or putting together an inspiring sideshow, I was going to spend time on my knees praying for you. But instead of praying for the normal list this week, I was going to go rogue. And instead of praying for your, your, your outside situations, I was going to pray for the, the fiber of your inner being and pray that God would strengthen your heart. And so I, I literally was, was in my bedroom Eight years, I'm doing a headstand, praying for cars, and this week in my bedroom, I'm on my knees, and I'm praying for your heart. And I'm on my knees again, because I'm just like, I want to be somebody who's knocking on that door saying, God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, will you strengthen? Through your power, will you strengthen their inner being? Why? So that they can just get a little bit more of the picture of how compelling and beautiful and perfect your love is for them, this love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. 
God, would you allow them to be filled with the fullness of God? God, not so that we can get glory. We know this is your story, but God, would you fill us up and would you give us capacity just to see a little bit more? I'm like, I think this is the best thing that I can do for you is plant my knees down, say, God, there's nothing I can do or say, but Lord Jesus, through the power of your spirit, would you strengthen the collective hearts of our people? Lord Jesus, I am begging you. I am knocking on the door. Lord Jesus, will you strengthen their inner being so that they can be rooted and established in your love and go out for your glory? I don't have any stories. This is all I've got for you. It's just a man in his bedroom, literally on his knees, praying. And I remember I started praying by name. I started praying through a, a list of our staff and of our volunteers. And I started praying through students and kids. And I went through every name I could think of. And when I couldn't think of any more, I went on Instagram and started praying for all the people that were connected on there. I'm pretty sure some of them are bots. I prayed for Admirable Freddie and Winky Johnson Zero and Delta Dawn, even though I'm pretty sure they're not real. I prayed for them anyway. And God heard because he's able to do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. And it might have not done anything for the bots, but I know it did something for me. Friends, even this morning, early, early this morning, I was up in my office. I was down on my knees, and I had tears welling up in my eyes as I was begging God to strengthen your inner beings. Because I don't just want to be somebody who talks at you about prayer. I want to be somebody who's on my knees knocking on that door for you. I want to be somebody who is in your corner. I want to be somebody who is lifting you up, saying, God, I need you to give them a bigger picture of your love. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you show them what they're designed to do because there's always more with you. Friends, if there's one thing you leave here with today, let it be this. You have been prayed for. You have been prayed for, and you've got someone in your corner. If you're sitting in a seat today, I prayed for your seat. If you're online today, I pray for you too. Pray that God would strengthen your heart so that you can be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge because I'm convinced that if that really lands in your heart, it'll change everything. God, just give us a little bit more. Give us a little bit more. And I don't share that with you to make you think I'm some prayer warrior. I am not. That is not my gift. I just have this growing conviction that if we aren't doing this, friends, what are we doing? If we're not on our knees begging God for the, the hearts and the minds and the souls of our own people, and we're not just like saying, Lord, will you show them a little bit more of what you designed them to do and how good your love is, then what are we doing? Friends, here's the question. When's the last time you got on your knees and begged God to move in the inner being of your spouse? When's the last time you got on your knees and begged God to strengthen the inner beings of your family and your friends and your classmates and your coworkers and your baristas and your bartenders and the people you don't even like, the people on Facebook? What if seeing a comment that just made anger well up in your heart didn't lead you to judgment, it led you to your knees because you know that you've been made alive in Christ and this story isn't about you and what you agree with, it's about a God who's bigger than that. What if that story drove us to our knees for one another? I wonder what's the craziest thing you've ever asked God for. What if this week you asked him to strengthen your inner being so that you could be filled to the brim with the fullness of God? What if you asked him to help you see yourself the way that he sees you? 
Or, or here's one that's crazier still. What if you started praying those things for other people? What if you got down on your knees and started praying for the inner beings of your family and your friends? I wonder what would happen to them, but I also wonder what would happen in your own heart. Friends, I'm convinced that the world needs more crazy prayers, more bold prayers, more courageous prayers, more big prayers, more prayers from our knees with tears in our eyes, saying, God, will you show us just a little bit more of you? And in the infamous words of Russell Wilson, why not us? Why can't that be our legacy? A legacy of a God so good that it brings us to our knees. And when we're on our knees, we think of each other. And so as we close today, talked about praying for you. Now I actually want to pray for you. I'm going to move over here to the cross. And if you remember from the beginning, it says, for this reason I kneel. So there's a reason that we kneel. It's everything up to Ephesians 3, there's so much in there. It's that we've been made alive. But there's also just this very tangible reality that when we drop to our knees, something happens in our heart. So for this reason, I'm on my knees and I'm knocking on the door and I'm begging. And this is my prayer for you today. Holy Spirit, for every single person in this room and online, God, right as they sit, as they breathe in and breathe out. God, not for their neighbor, but for them. God, I pray that you would strengthen their inner beings through the power of your Holy Spirit. God, would you enlarge their capacity? God, to be able to see just a little glimpse of your love. I'm so convinced, Lord, that if we could just see a little bit more of your love, God, that we would continue to be actually shaped and changed and sent out with boldness and bravery. Lord Jesus, enlarge their hearts so that they can experience more of your grace that's been poured out over their life. God, fill them with the fullness of God. God, fill them up, not for their glory, but for yours. God, help them to see that your face is smiling at them. Your love is so much bigger than any of their failures. God, give us more more of your spirit. Pour your presence out. Pour your spirit out. God, in this room right now, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And right now, we're going to respond by singing a song. And in that song, it says, pour your spirit out. That's been my prayer in this place. What if the spirit of God was poured out in this place and it actually brought us to our knees? So if you feel called, if you feel convicted, if you feel comfortable, I invite you to get to your knees and actually pray for someone. If you don't know what to pray, pray Ephesians 3, say, Father, I pray that their inner beings would be strengthened so that they could have a little taste of the height and the breadth and the width and the length of your love. And so that's the invitation. If you want, you can stand, but if you want, you can kneel. But whatever you do, let's worship together.